Hello, and welcome to episode 80 of the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. The pandemic has been a seismic phenomenon that has reshaped medtech sales and sales processes dramatically. Many of these changes will be permanent, and one such change is the recognition of the importance and effectiveness of inside sales. Today's episode is called Big Roles for Inside Sales in MedTech. Our expert guide on the subject today is Mike Sperduti, CEO of Emerge Sales. Mike will explain the importance of neurolinguistics in sales dialogue architecture, the three myths of inside sales, and the five key elements to successful inside sales programs, and much more. When I look at the span of medtech technologies and the variety of customer stakeholders, I am hard-pressed not to find a place where inside sales adds value to medtech companies. Many of the big companies are using inside sales aggressively. You will enjoy this entertaining and informative episode. It's February, the month of Valentine's Day, and I can't think of a better way to celebrate than to assist an organization dedicated to health equity for women in underserved areas of the world. I'm specifically talking about Her Health EQ that was founded by Marissa Fayer. Marissa was our guest on the podcast in episode 78. During February, the membership fees for all new members of the MedTech Leaders community will be contributed to Her Health EQ. I call that a win-win. You can learn more about MedTech Leaders at medtechleaders.net. And membership costs about four cups of coffee and far less than a dozen roses. And it will go to help women in third world countries. Thank you for listening into the program today. If you believe it has value, share it with a friend using the share link of your podcast player. Links to Mike's LinkedIn profile and his website will be in the show notes. Let's meet up with Mike to learn how inside sales can fit into your sales process regardless of the complexity of your medical technology. Mike, it is great to have you on the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. Thanks for taking time on a busy day to uh, spend with us. Ted, I am just completely honored to be with you and your group and uh, talking about my passion, which is inside sales. So thank you for having me. And it's definitely a passion. You are a passionate guy, <laughs> which you got to be. Uh, look, so, life so is... Tell- this life is all, we have one shot, Ted. And if you're not enjoying everything that you do, you just should not be doing it. That's it. So tell us your role and just a little bit about Emerge Sales. 
Sure. So uh, over the last, gosh, it's coming up on 30 years, uh, I have been the guy in the medical device, medical technology industry, waving the flag. You got to get into inside sales. Inside sales is the most powerful, underutilized asset in your toolbox. And I've been banging that drum for 30 years now. Finally, you know, the one good thing about COVID was COVID helped me spread the news even better than I ever did it because everybody now is forced to do it. So, uh, yeah, I'm just a, a guy who's been around. I've worked with the who's who of the industry as well as startups, and I've been blessed to to fall in love with this medium and, and be able to do some cool things. Awesome. And tell us just about Emerge Sales as a company. Sure. So Emerge started out, um, I had a lot of success with companies that I had ownership in and helping them build their businesses with all inside sales. I would take these companies that were medical distribution, medical equipment, medical technology companies that were using a predominantly all outside sales force. And in a lot of instances, I converted them to all inside sales organizations and completely got rid of outside sales. In other ones, I was able to take the inside sales and complement it with an outside sales force and scale the businesses very quickly. And I personally made a lot of money for myself and my shareholders with own companies. Um, the last company that I worked for, I was CEO of a company called Medic ACS. And I took that company through a bankruptcy. I didn't put it in bankruptcy. I took it over after it was already in trouble, uh, fixed the finances, plugged in my inside sales concept, and we ended up selling it to Invacare, which is a publicly traded company in O'Leary, Ohio. And that gave me enough money to kind of go on my own and do what I wanted to do. And so I took a year off. And I did all the things that you can't do when you're running companies. I was like the class dad. And um, I thought to myself, well, what am I going to do next? And I thought, well, I just, I feel like I have this gift that God gave me and I can build businesses over the phone. Why don't I just help everybody? And so that's when I put the flag in and I said, let's start this company. And I went back and I brought back my team that we had done well throughout the years to help me with this venture and we got off the ground. And uh, you know, today we've helped either build companies with inside sales organizations internal, they've outsourced to me. We've trained, consulted in 45 different countries in native language um, and all different types of companies and sizes. Okay. So before we get into the nitty gritty of inside sales, just tell, tell me a story or tell us a story about inside sales just to help give us a flavor of so go ahead this is, this is going to be a story it's going to have nothing to do with the medical device industry but it's going to show you why i got involved and how i still do the same thing today okay now this goes all the way back to when i'm 12 years old so i'm 12 years old and i was brought up in long island new york my father was an electrician my mom was a stay-at-home mom and you know they were just a very nice middle america family but for some reason, they just gave I, a brother and a sister, they gave us everything and they made us feel like we were rich. So when I played the piano, I had the same baby grand piano that Merv Griffin had on the Merv Griffin show. I was playing at 12 years old. Okay. Now, why my parents bought me this stuff, I have no idea why they did this stuff, but I was just used to getting what I wanted. Well, one day 
I told them that I wanted to sponsor the greatest 12-year-old softball team ever. And I was going to hand select the people and we were going to win this trophy. And I needed $800 for the fee to get into the league. And my parents were like, what are you nuts? I mean, we'll give you your fee, but we're not going to pay for the other kids' fee. And Ted, it was the first time that I'd ever heard the word no in my life. They said no, but I still wanted this team. And so I did not, I don't know what made me do this, but I ran upstairs and I said, well, I got to figure this out. And I remembered that the older, the older uh, people, they had sponsors for their, uh, their softball teams. And so they did bars and things of that nature. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to call delis and I'm going to convince the deli owner that he's going to sponsor the greatest 12-year-old softball team ever, but I'm also going to make all 12 families go buy their cold cuts from that deli. So eventually, by him sponsoring the team, not only will he get the, the accolades of sponsoring the best 12-year-old team ever, but he'll also eventually get his money back and maybe make money because we'll buy all the cold cuts from him. So I think of this, and this is, I, I write it down. I pick up, there was a phone book at that time, Ted. Yeah, phone and, books. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who were younger, you probably don't remember any of this. There was no Google. There was a book. And I went to delis, and I started with A. And I started this presentation. I got on the phone. And again, I have no idea why I'm doing this, but I'm doing it. And I go, A, and I do my presentation. So anyway, I keep going and I get no, 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 no. I get to L, Lou from Lou's Deli in Smithtown, New York. And by the time I get to Lou, I'm very well rehearsed. I got objections coming. And this is all happening within an hour. I do the pitch. I ask Lou if he would uh, sponsor my team. And he's Italian. And he says, hey, yeah, hey, sure, kid. No problem. I, I, I give you the money. So I hang up the phone. I come flying down the stairs. Ma, you got to take me to Lou's Deli in Smithtown, New York. She's like, why? I'm like, Lou's going to give me the $800. And she's like, what are you, cracked? I'm like, listen, Ma, please. Can you just please take me? We got in the car and Lou had that check for 800 bucks. Now, that was from an hour my mother said no. So I had $800 and the phone got me that. And I thought to myself, my God, if I really want something and I put together a good presentation and, and if it benefits everybody, I love this. And so I immediately found inside sales jobs as a teenager through college. And I started selling everything from radio advertising to industrial maintenance chemicals to chimney sweep services. And that's how I got started was just, and all the things that I do today are exactly the same. I get on the phone or I teach people to get on the phone and I write messages that benefit the audience that I'm speaking to that benefits the cause that I'm representing. That's a, that is a great story. And it actually, it's a great segue in a little bit into just a little background about your career. Cause that's what we want to talk about next is, your career and, and emerge sales. And I think you already answered one thing because <laughs> I was going to ask you, you know, when you're going to college, did you even know that you're going to be in sales? I guess the answer is yes. Yeah. Well, at the time I thought I was very much into radio and I had a really popular radio show in Erie, Pennsylvania. It was a college show, but it was popular. And I thought that that was my path, but I was making my money selling. And then I fell in love and the radio just wasn't conducive to a, uh, a family life. So I decided to get into, and then I was like, well, what do I have to do? How can I make money? And it was an easy, uh, an easy decision for me. Okay. 
we know about that. You already told us what introduced you to sales, and it was getting that sponsorship for your team. Lose Deli. Yep, Lose Deli. Does is Lose Deli still exist? It doesn't. You know, I'm fortunate that I get back to my hometown every once in a while, and I do drive by it, and it's not there. But boy, I, it, I put a smile on my face every time I go by it. Ah, uh, that's great. And of course, that also answers the next question, which was when did inside sales become your passion? You learned about that early on. Yes. So you worked for people up to a period of time and then, you know, you had that successful exit. Yes. But, and all that work up to that time was um, based around the power of inside sales. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, It was, and, and I really started using the tool and this is the, the, the thing that people don't think about when they think about inside sales, is that it made me the smartest guy in the room. I was always the smartest guy in whatever room I was in, meaning if it was, when I was just a rep, I knew everything about my territory. I knew all the decision makers. I knew what brands they were buying. I knew why they bought them. I knew what their frequency was. I knew what GPO contract they were on. I knew everything. And how did I know that? I engaged in meaningful conversations with them over the phone. And so I, so I would collect all this great information and then be able to execute on it. So when I was a rep, I knew more about my territory than anybody else. When I was a regional manager, I knew more about the region. When I was the CEO, I knew more than my uh, competitors because I was always asking questions that were smart to my business, recording that data, and then acting on that data. So just expand upon that. What do you mean by that? Well, if I'm selling capital equipment, and let's say I'm selling an analyzer in a lab, the typical replacement time of an analyzer is seven years. So if I make a phone call and I have a great conversation with the decision maker for that piece of equipment, and they tell me that they just bought that equipment this year, that's a no today. But that's a no, K-N-O-W, who they bought, what manufacturer did they buy, and when they're going to be back in the buy cycle so I can market to that person a lot differently than somebody who's in the market or entering the market within the next year or two. So, And then so I would know what percentage of whatever it was, whether it was my territory or my company, I knew who was in the market and who was entering the market, and I know who not to waste my time with. Okay. And then you had that really strong exit with one of the companies that you were running. Yes. Earlier on, you told us that after spending a little bit of time off, you decided that this is something you could share with other people by creating your own consulting company. Yes. Somewhere in that period, you became a max, you were certified as a master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming. Tell us a little bit about what this is. Where, where, where did that fall? Was it after you exited or, and before you started your companies or what? You know, it, it, the, the, the journey about neurolinguistic programming and neurolinguistic psychology started when I was around 21 years old. Okay. And how I fell into it was, and I love the question, by the way, you're so prepared. It's unbelievably great. Um, the Tony Robbins at that time was, you know, he, he's big today. He was really getting big back then. And he published a book, I think it was Personal Power or something like that. And in that book, he was talking about neuro-linguistic programming. And so I started, and he was saying that 
the things that he was doing in his seminars and the things that he was teaching was based on this psychology and technology. So I was like, well, I want to go to the root of where he learned from. And so what's amazing, and I encourage anybody who's in the field of persuasion, influence, and change, that you study neurolinguistics. Because what it is, it's to study how language impacts the body, which impacts change. And so it's extremely powerful. It's one of the reasons why today, uh, with everybody jumping into inside sales, why this is a significant competitive advantage, because how you break through the noise and how you communicate and you get to people's conscious attention is obviously incredibly important today, and it becomes even harder. And the phone has always been a tough medium to get that kind of engagement with the customer. So long story short is NLP came into my life because I wanted to be the best communicator I could be, and that technology does that. Okay. And you frequently, because for the listeners um, out there, I've known Mike now for a little over a year, right? We started participating in these um, med expert webinars together. And um, you frequently refer to including the neuro-linguistic component of, uh, of a sales process and training in the way you deliver your services to your clients. So I, I think that's, um, you know, really very, very interesting. Well, and, and so, and it also is not only great for inside sales, by the way, it's great for outside sales. I'll just sure. be really quick. So here's a really quick example on why it's so powerful. Every single person that you talk to processes, processes information one of three ways. They have a preferred learning style. Some people prefer visual. Some people prefer auditory. And some people prefer kinesthetic. They, they like to touch it, feel it, and sample it or, you know, work with it. If you're selling to everybody with the same preferred learning style, which is typically the way that you like to communicate with, you're losing two-thirds of your audience when you're selling. So what NLP enables you to do is to look at somebody, listen to them, and use sensory input so that way you can figure out what their preferred learning style is and then fold your presentation to meet that communication need so it's much easier for me to influence or translate or make an impact in your mind because I'm feeding it the way that you want to be fed. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And then I'm just curious, um, as you came into this past couple years, you know, so you, you're very strong in the area of inside sales, which in the past was a phone medium. How soon did you get more involved in the virtual medium in addition to phone, you know, combining the two? Oh, geez. You know, as soon as, as soon as, um, God, I don't even remember the name anymore. It's been so long. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, what was the original one? Go to meeting? No, before go to meeting. What, what, it was uh, WebEx. Okay. Yep. Right. So as soon as WebEx came out, we were on WebEx making presentations. I mean, it's been years now. And when I say years, I've probably been doing these type of things for five to seven years, very heavy. And okay. again, the reason why was because as an NLP guy, the more sensory input I get, the, the, the better it is to communicate with. This now gives me uh, visual cues that I wouldn't be able to get through the telephone. So I'm glad you brought this up. Now, when we talk about inside sales, it's a combination 
of the telephone and this type of technology. In addition to, there are needs also where inside salespeople, when the accounts get big enough, they, they need to go see accounts sometimes. So today, I think as a rep, you need to be a, a you know a three trick pony. You need to be good on the phone, good with this type of medium, and good face to face. Got it. Okay, very good. So now let's move more into um, some details about inside sales. Sure. And so one of the things you've alluded to, you know, a few minutes ago was, you know, how did it affect demand for inside sales, the pandemic? How did the pandemic affect demand for inside sales? What did you see happen? It exploded. I mean, look, even outside salespeople are inside salespeople now. Yeah. Right. You can't go. So the whole world converged. Now, this created unbelievable challenges for everybody. Right. It created challenges for the organizations who weren't involved in inside sales to figure out how do I do it? Right. Because a lot of people think, you know, inside sales is you take a person who's a salesperson, you put them on the telephone and they can go do their jobs. And that's inside sales. When in fact, when you do it the right way, it is a it's an art and it's a science, meaning the art is in the creativity in writing the language patterns like we talked about using neurolinguistics to get people to have meaningful conversations when they're being bombarded with all these phone calls now. Because remember, not only are the people making the calls inexperienced, but the people receiving the calls are now getting bombarded. So they just want to get you off the phone. So this ability to be able to craft messaging becomes very, very important while everybody's jumping in and using inside sales. Okay. So you sort of alluded now to a myth. So the pandemic, of course, it made inside sales something that was very important. A lot of people are probably doing it very poorly, yep. uh, as, especially as it converted into virtual and they didn't understand how to use the virtual tools, let alone you know, uh, uh, an audio tool. What are some of the myths related to inside sales that either hold people back or interfere with their ability to um, execute them properly? So I, I like everything else, it starts with people. And the first thing, the first myth is that you take that inside sales is a lower quality, lower skilled representative. So you right off the bat, you're diminishing your talent. I bring in top talent. I bring in my inside salespeople make more money than their outside contemporaries. When, 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 in, in, in the context of when we can sell over the phone soup to nuts. My inside salespeople that help set up outside salespeople be more productive. These are people that are going to be outside salespeople someday, presidents someday, and leaders. I hire people who are going to be somebody someday, number one. So the, so the biggest flaw in hiring is you're looking for this lower quality person. I just want complete gamers. If they're new, I hire you know folks that excelled in sports, in cheerleading, in chess, somebody who's got that competitive nature in them to be the best, and they want to be somebody someday. Love those people, and we can plug them in. So the first thing is lowering your quality is like really ridiculous. Number two myth, you plug in customer service people. Oh, we'll just make Sally or Johnny the customer service rep. 
will make them an inside salesperson because all you got to do is pick up the phone and dial and sales magically come. No, these people hate outbound. Outbound's a different animal. Outbound is rejection. There's got to be something wrong with you, like what's wrong with me, in the fact that when you hear no, you get fuel to get to the yes. You know the yes is out there. You got to keep going. That's in somebody who understands that they're on a mission to get something done. So hiring um, customer service people, which I see people do all the time, uh, that's the second myth. And the last thing is that you hire people that, you know, they self-profess as having, I'm a great communicator. I have the gift of gab. I don't need KPI metrics. I don't need language patterns. God just gave me this inert ability and I can make it. And those people fail. So the, the myth with inside sales is that anybody can do it. You just need to put somebody on the phone. This is a precision business when it's done right. And that's why the, the companies that we work with and the experiences that we bring to the table are because we're doing things with inside sales that are just not common out there right now. Got it. No, that's a great description of, of what I, I can clearly imagine those myths. And I believe I have seen them in action before at companies I worked for and or consulted for. So, and I, and uh, I that, bet you get a lot of those phone calls today and before, like all those shitty phone calls that people get, it's, th it's those people doing those things, reading those horrible scripts. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's go to how inside sales. I want to look at two different things. One is how can it relate? And they're a little bit related, but how can inside sales relate to different kinds of products and, and med tech? And then how can inside sales work in different ways in the sales process? You know, you might have a, a you know, it might have different functions or a different part of the sales process, or it could be the whole process. But so let's look at different types of products. You know, in, in med tech, we have, you know, the high end capital equipment, you know, it's a one sale and you're done. There might be service agreements. Maybe there's a software license that gets renewed every year. Then you have low to medium cost disposables. And then you could have high, high tech, high cost disposables, like a hip implant, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a disposable because I have one. <laughs> it didn't get thrown away, but still it's, you know, it's in me and, you know, it's not going to be sold or used again for another, another person. So how does inside sales work across this, this span of products? Sure. So when you're engaging in an inside sales strategy, the first thing you need to determine is, do you need outside sales at all, right? Because let's just take a piece of capital equipment. So if you're talking about an MRI or a linear accelerator, you know, something that is significant capital, it's going to take a lot of, a lot of handholding with a lot of different stakeholders. We need outside sales to get in there. Um, we could look at a product like I'm working on right now where it's, there's a committee decision that needs to be made and there's multiple touch points that need to be there. Um, the phone is a, it should be used at that point or inside sales should be used at that point to do the rapport, the initial rapport and the initial qualification process of the sales process. All right. So basically it's the, the appointment, the profile of the, the account you want to make sure you get done with the phone. Right. So, for instance, 
if I am going to a, so like uh, a linear accelerator, and I want to get to the cancer treatment centers across the country, the conversation that I'm going to have is with the uh, radiation oncologist. When I have the conversation with the radiation oncologist, I'm going to open up the discussion about what they're doing relative to linear accelerators. What are they using? How old is it? And things of that nature. Organically, I'm getting the information during this conversation that's going to lead into this is an immediate opportunity, this is a future opportunity, or there's no opportunity. Depending upon where it is, I'm going to feed my salespeople with that appointment if they should get in there right now, or, and they're qualified because they're going to have the right person that they're speaking with, they know the equipment that they currently have, they know the age of the equipment, they know where they are in the buy cycle. So inside sales is going to help that outside sales by setting that appointment, qualifying it, and bringing it together and starting the process. So that's how we would engage with something that needed a physical representation. Now you have something which it could be a low-end disposable. Today, because of this technology, it could be something like a new laparoscopic technology that we're working on, as crazy as that is, because they can, they can do the demonstration using technology. So the, the, the whole game has changed. So if you can sell the product without a physical uh, representation and you can use Zoom technology, we then now can take this process from soup to nuts and close. And we're going to use the same strategies as an outside salesperson. We're going to have to do those same things. So we're going to have to go through the appointment, the profile, the interview, the evaluation, the presentation, the close, and the pin down, those seven steps to create a sale for a technology or a disposable, we're going to break down that process. We're going to figure out how the buyer buys. So we're going to understand their buy process. And we're going to fold our strategy to make sure we can do that effectively over the phone or through this technology. Okay. And in that case, somebody could do possibly all of it over the phone and maybe and if it's laparoscopic they might be supported by an application specialist who might go into the first procedure or two or customer 100%. customer success person whatever that might be 100% okay that that's that's really great so on one end we have somebody filling the top of the funnel on the on the other extreme we have somebody going from the beginning of the process all the way to the end of the process and closing the deal and, and Ted, I would say that a lot more can be done over the phone than most people think. And it's because of this, it's because a lot of the decision makers are old guys like me, okay, well, who didn't grow up with the phone, right? They grew up in this, we have to be face to face. And if it's strange and they don't understand it, and 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 also it's kind of self-serving because a lot of these folks that are in leadership positions. They don't have any experience and they don't bring any value to the process moving forward. So they kind of poo-poo the process because this job, there's some job implications on their end. So for instance, if a VP of sales is not strong in inside sales, most of the time he or she is fighting for outside sales and not looking at inside sales because people typically go with what they know. And that's the biggest thing that I challenge any leader that's on the podcast today is if inside sales isn't your number one discussion relative to sales and your sales force, you're having the wrong discussion right now. 
So that's sort of a, a cultural bias in a sense, just from the person's past experiences that they need to try to, um, they need to try to eliminate that cultural bias some way. So they give inside sales the right kind of attention and the right kind of support. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because, you know, again, you're looking out for your, the CEO and the, the owners, you're looking out for your shareholders and, you know, it, every every person that has that doesn't have an experience or bring something new to the party today will always poo poo it. No different than John D. Rockefeller was selling kerosene against uh, the light bulb at one point, uh, you know, electricity. And he was making an argument that electricity wasn't as good as kerosene. You know what I mean? So it doesn't make any. So it's been the history of time when things change. The incumbent is always holding down the new idea. Right. And also, by the way, as an aside to listeners, whenever uh, Mike or I say on the phone, it could also be on the computer virtually. So it's it's sort of a, a, a euphemism that we're talking about here. And, and Ted, I'm really glad you said that because I'm going to have to update my vocabulary. So thank you. <laughs> right. right. What, are, what would you call some of the key elements of successful. And so we're, we've alluded to a lot of them, but let's go over it again. What are the key elements of successful inside sales? So there's a, there's a couple of, of components. Number one, we talked about it. First and foremost, you need the right person with the right DNA, with the right passion and belief in the product. Okay. I'm a, the thing I won't do, and I will never represent something I don't fully believe in. So number one is having that passion and, and emotional investment in the product. After that, it's having somebody on your team or outsourcing to somebody who can write great sales conversations. Every conversation, you know they're going to pick up the phone. You know that they don't know who you are. You know that you need to establish rapport within seconds. Otherwise, they're going to dust you off. And so you need somebody who can write great dialogue that captures people's attention and willfully engages them in a conversation. That's really a skill that people don't take seriously. They literally, every organization I go into that's having a problem with messaging, it's because this is their presentation. And I swear to God, this is the script. Hi, name. This is your name. I'm calling with name of company about this product you have some time to talk about. That's 90% of the sales calls that are going out there. And of course, what is the other, what is the person on the other end of the phone saying after they're getting 4 billion phone calls? No, thank you. We got everything covered. Have a good day. Click. So the second piece is you better be really good at conversation and you know, it's going, the, the, the person on the other end of the phone Feels like you do, Ted, when, when somebody cold calls you, and, and if I were to cold call you right now, and I said, hi, Ted, my name is Mike Spurduti. How are you today? What's your initial thought? Is I'm getting called by somebody I don't know. And most of the, you're nicer than me, right? So that's yes. Yeah. I'm thinking, how do I get this person off the phone? <laughs> okay, yeah, I, right. <laughs> I'm so busy, right? I mean, like, what's what's my opening to get this person off the phone? And so I, you know that going in, the customers think of the same thing. They're getting bombarded. They're dealing with COVID. They're dealing with their personal issues. They're dealing with a lot of stuff. And bring the phone rings and it's you trying to sell your stuff. 
So that that piece of message engineering, hugely important. Next thing that's important is the list, okay? I can't tell you how many folks that are listening to this call right now that they're in a market. They sell a capital equipment, they sell a technology or a disposable, and they don't have their universe defined. They don't know how many institutions are there. They don't know the names of the buyers. They don't have the phone numbers. So a lot of effort has to go into building your list and buying really great data because I could have the greatest message in the world, but if I don't have the right people that I'm talking to, I'm never going to sell anything. So list and list creation is really, really important. And that also got harder today because people are changing jobs. I think on our podcast, somebody had mentioned that I, like the clinical staff is turning over like 30 to 40%. Is that, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's true. The clinical staff in hospitals, the turnover is just crazy. And so think about these list companies now, right? So you're buying somebody's name and, and their, their title, and that person is churning every, you know, so often. So the lists are really challenging today. Um, direct dial phone numbers are really important. So I encourage, this is one of the things that I encourage everybody is when you're building lists, you're really looking for direct dial phone numbers into the clinical facility. Not the mobile phone. Everybody thinks the mobile phone is Nirvana. It's not. People get pissed when you call them on their mobile phone, unless you use a referral-based strategy, which I don't have time to get into right now. Yeah. But if you're gonna if you're gonna just cold call on a mobile phone, people don't like that. So you want to get direct dial phone number because if you do get direct dial phone number and they are working remotely, that number is being transferred to their home and you're able to get them. So List building and identifying who the key decision makers are, what institutions, and what your universe is, really, really important. After you have that, now you want to build your KPIs. You want to get into how many dials does it take to get a decision maker on the phone? How many decision maker conversations does it take to open up a qualified opportunity? How many opportunities do you need in order to make a sale? What's the average value of the sale on a per annual, annual basis and lifetime value? And what's the sales cycle? How many days does it typically take for you to buy? And what I love about all this is it's based on a conversation. I can record all this information. I can look at the dials. I have technology. It's another big piece of this is after we have the KPIs in place, we have technology sitting over everything to make sure that we're measuring, monitoring, and holding everybody to production standards, in addition to recording all the phone calls, so that way you can make sure that your messages is working, right? So you, you, that things that you anticipated, you're actually delivering in the right manner, and you do all of that, and that's how you become predictable, repeatable, and scalable. Awesome. And so if you're working with a client and you're and you're trying to set up an inside sales program for them, so I, I guess there's a number of different tools that you can access, like recording the calls. Um, so you just have to buy that particular type of service or add it to the phone service that you have so that you can do this. Where, where does, how about uh, the digital side of this, where you're attracting somebody on the digital side and then you're headed toward 
a, a virtual uh, meeting of some kind. How does that work in your system? So it, it's so, so, so important that you have this handoff from digital over to the inside sales force and the inside sales force is able to now sell effectively, right? Because it's it's amazing. You know, we work with some really talented people uh, on the MedTech experts that can drive a lot of leads. The question is, you need people to convert them. So the, the process needs to be, just like everything else, defined when you get the lead, what information you're getting, how do I communicate that effectively, how am I going to position this, and how am I going to overcome whatever objections that are out there. But uh, that be, the, the key of increasing conversations to conversions is extremely important right now, and I'll tell you why. It's really, it got much harder because of COVID to actually engage in meaningful dialogue with people. You know, before COVID, on an average project that I would be running or an average uh, campaign that I'd be running, we'd have anywhere between four to six meaningful conversations per hour on the phone. There are some projects right now that I'm working on that because of just the situation that we're in, we're only able to talk to one person per hour, right? And so when, so when you have that person, you better be your best. And think about it from an inside sales perspective. You're working an hour of your time. You're dialing, you're recording to have one meaningful conversation. So that's why this skill set is incredibly important because when you get the lead from digital or you get through to the decision maker, you better be on your A game and you cannot wing it. You have to have a structured process. You need to know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it during every encounter. So the language patterns and message engineering becomes really strong when it comes to converting digital to sales. Okay. So on the so this reduction you were talking about four meaningful calls down to one meeting, and this is just a um, a result of the pandemic and people getting really busy, either having a number of distractions, extra tasks, and or list, diversions. List lists being wrong, right? So now you're right. calling you're calling Got numbers it. numbers being canceled, disconnections, all that kind of stuff. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. All right. And then you talk about making sure you have a good list. So I'm, I assume that you must work with various organizations that um, can provide really good data to a client to help them build a list or to work from. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the, the best list that we're working on right now, depending upon the specific decision-making title, Definitive Healthcare is an excellent list source. Zoom Info has been an excellent list source. I work with another company, Comprehensive Medical Lists. Uh, they're doing a great job for us in the physician marketplace. So yeah, there are, there are folks that specialize in lists, but even those lists are still 30 to 40% are wrong. Wow. So a big, Amazing. Well, because remember, once, once that person leaves until they update that list, which could be six months to a year down the road, that's now antiquated data. Yes. So a big part of inside sales is updating that database, refreshing the decision maker, refreshing the information. That's another thing that, uh, you know, if you're pairing an inside sales with an outside salesperson, that a big value that inside sales is bringing is 
keeping that database relevant because we all know data is gold, right? I mean, if you don't know what's going on in the marketplace, you're done. Okay. Do you have a case study you can refer to? Like, off the top of your head, you don't have to name you don't so, have to name a client if you don't want to, but just like a yeah. So I think one of the most fun I have a lot of fun ones uh, to, to show examples, but I think this one would be the most relative in terms of just showing the power of inside sales. So I had a a really great client of mine. His name was Ken Waters, and uh, Ken was featured back when there was a magazine called Sales and Marketing Magazine. Um, he was awarded Sales Leader of the Year, um, the year that I met him. I remember. I remember that magazine. Right, and so yeah. Ken was the he was featured, and he was the guy. So whenever Ken would get a, Ken was always called in to turn around a publicly traded company or a company that was being positioned to sell. He was the guy that they'd call in, and Ken and I formed an alliance. I cold called him, by the way, which is really funny. He never thought it would work. I got him to the table. I closed him. And he took me to three different companies with him. The last company we did together was called Iris Diagnostics. And Iris Diagnostics was uh, a company that sold in the lab marketplace. And they had at the time around 12 outside salespeople. So Ken and I get involved in this company and uh, we go to work and we know we had done prior to that, we worked for a company called Civco and we did a radiation oncology project where we did uh, linear accelerators, stereotactic brachy radiation therapy and fiducial markers. And we crushed that. So we already had a blueprint on how to work together. We implemented our program with Iris and they went from $50 million in sales to $100 million sales without ever increasing another sales rep. So wow. that with that, so they increased by 50 million just by leveraging the power of the phone. And the punchline to the story is we end up selling the company to Beckman Coulter, and Beckman Coulter became a really big client of ours because they wanted to figure out, hey, what did you guys do and how did you do it? So it works for the little guy in that it really works for you and any startup, it levels the playing field. Because what you're going to do is make sure that your resources, these educated sales clinicians, whatever you need to bring in to close the sale, you need to make sure they're at the right place at the right time. And there is no vehicle other than the phone or video or digital that's going to get you there. Okay. No, that's, that's really great. That's a super story. And then how would a company get started in inside sales? Like, you know, what are the, some of the first steps they should take? It could include working with somebody like yourself. Yeah. I mean, look, it, I always say this, you know, I'm a business owner. I own multiple businesses and I, I'm only Ted, I swear to God, I have this little skill that I could do over the phone. I'm also good at organizing people and resources. Other than that, I'm a hopeless case, right? We all have our strengths and we all have great weaknesses. And so to me, I don't waste any time on learning today, especially as an owner. I need to bring in people who know what they're doing. So do not try to do it yourself. You don't have to hire me. There are plenty of people out there that are skilled. Go out there, find the best people to help you and support you. You can even start out if you're just a one-man show or one-lady show. 
Uh, you know, there are training modules. There's my videos are on YouTube. You can go YouTube it. You know, get yourself educated and get yourself smart by somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. Okay. Or hire it. Or hire the expertise. Bring in the manager that knows how to do it. Sure. And and I know you you have a an important meeting at uh, here in another uh, eight or nine minutes. Any yeah. last thoughts, comments you would have for uh, listeners? I just. I'm just excited for anybody who's listening to this that somehow this struck a light bulb and said, wow, I can go out and I can reach anybody I want, just like Lou's Deli. I can go get whatever I want. I just have to get a good phone number. I have to build a good message that brings value to the person that I'm speaking with. And you're committed to excellence in inside sales. And if you take that mentality and if you're the CEO or VP of sales and you get that and you get way more serious than you've ever been, um, I would just, I'm thrilled for you because it's going to light you right up and you're going to, you're going to do things that are just amazing. Okay. And uh, Anje says, preaching to the converted mic, actually in the community, I don't know if there's a way that to the two of you could communicate. Maybe you could give her a couple ideas on how to um, uh, get uh, sales team members to, you know, take this, um, you know, more seriously. I think a lot of people have that challenge. Well, Mike, it was, it was great having you on the program today. This is really terrific. We covered a lot of ground, got into some really good detail and I think people have a lot to think about. Ted, thank you so much. I'm very appreciative of the opportunity. And also, I'm building uh, an inside sales team for ConMed. Um, we're going to be starting that project in the next two months. So if there's anybody out there listening and you have what it takes, you're, a, you're somebody who wants to be somebody, you buy into this inside sales thing, you have to live in the Boston area. That's the only uh, prerequisite please hit me up on LinkedIn or get in touch with me. I want the best. So thank you, everybody. And thank you, Ted. I think this is the first episode of a podcast that ended with a job opportunity. Pretty neat. For those of you that don't know it, ConMed is a billion-dollar company in terms of revenue. It is a good example of how a large med tech company has incorporated inside sales. If you're not employing inside sales as a tactic to amplify one or all of your sales processes, you may want to give it some thought. If you are a traditional direct face-to-face -face sales professional and you find yourself employing more inside sales techniques in your day-to-day -day work, consider some of Mike's advice. Thanks again for spending time with me and Mike today. Now go win your week.